Our new book, The Art of Business Wars, features stories and lessons from history's greatest business rivalries, with powerful insights uncovered through hundreds of episodes of Business Wars. Go to Wondery.com forward slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. Join Wondery Plus to listen to Business Wars one week early and ad-free in the Wondery app. Download the Wondery app in your Apple or Google Play mobile app store today. It's 1953, New York City, NBC headquarters at 30 Rockefeller Center. Pat Weaver, NBC's president of programming, looks down the boardroom table through a thick haze of cigarette smoke. A dozen network executives stare back at him with frowns and arched eyebrows. I'm telling you, gentlemen, late-night programming is the new frontier. There are huge profits to be made. NBC can be the pioneer and make that time slot our own. NBC hired Weaver away from rival network CBS in 1949. He's a visionary thinker who understands the commercial and creative possibilities he's helping to define in this new medium, television. But to these executives, the idea he's pitching is almost unthinkable. This is nine years before Johnny Carson's show becomes a late-night fixture. Those hours after primetime are still a no-man's land. It would be nuts to park network money there. Late-night programming. Local news ends at 11. After that, it's the national anthem and a test pattern until sunrise. We need to keep pushing. Look, I came up with a Today Show, right? It's doing great numbers in the morning, just like I predicted. The affiliate stations love it. I think that kind of light talk show format can succeed at night, too. 90 minutes, 11.30 to 1 a.m. 90 minutes? 1 a.m.? Who the hell's going to be watching? Winos and insomniacs? Americans have to get up and go to work in the morning. You just won't get an audience. And that means no advertisers for NBC. Mm-hmm. Got that right. Don't worry. The advertisers will come. This will be something fresh and exciting. And I want Steve Allen to host. He's doing that crazy little local show that everybody in New York is flipping for. Allen's spontaneous and funny with energy to burn. It'd be a great show to close the network with every night. Weaver is scoring, and the room begins to soften. So we're talking a national version of Alan's show? He is damn good, and it would be a low-budget risk. But we can't call it the Steve Allen Show. Of course not. I'm calling it tonight. Hmm. The network brass finally relent, and Weaver gets a green light for tonight. As the bosses head out for their martini lunches, they have no inkling of what lies ahead. This decision will make NBC millions, turn late night into coveted advertising territory, and spark a battle among rival networks that will rage for decades. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. 
and speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, David Letterman's NBC morning show failed. But in 1982, he was given late night at 12.30 a.m., where he did well. But before Carson, Letterman, and Leno ever start butting heads, NBC has to sell America on staying up late to watch television and find a host who can keep them awake. The men who blaze this trail do this with sharp comic wits and emotional, unscripted moments. American viewers are hooked. This is episode two, The Dawn of Tonight. It's the night of September 20th, 1954, at a small Manhattan TV studio, seven days before tonight launches on NBC. Steve Allen is hosting his final local show before starting his new gig hosting Tonight. His wife, actress Jane Meadows, sits backstage with comic Louis Nye. Nye is an Allen show regular set to move to Tonight along with his boss. Meadows is all smiles. Isn't this exciting, Louis? Steve's going national next week. It's a hell of a break for him and you. Nye bites off a fingernail and spits it in the aisle. His natural hangdog expression is worse than usual. I don't know, Jane. I'm worried. I think the network's making a big mistake going national. For God's sake, why do you say that? This will be the big time. The show is too hip. We're too... too New York. The South. The Midwest. The rest of America is never going to get our humor. Oh, come on. Steve is from the Midwest. He was raised in Chicago. He was a hit on the radio in Phoenix and L.A. He was in the Army. He's a regular guy. Trust me. Tonight is going to be a big success. Well, I hope you're right. I need the work. Nye's concerns, shared by more than a few NBC executives, are not unfounded. It's only been three years since network television began broadcasting coast-to-coast. Pushing a local show beyond regional boundaries is a new experiment, and no one knows whether the audience and advertisers will be receptive. But they'll all find out in a week. It's 11.30 at night, September 27, 1954. Sleepless Americans are glued to their black-and-white TV screens as Steve Allen and the first Tonight Show beams into their homes. In case you're just joining us, this is tonight. 
And uh, I can't think of too much to tell you about it, except I want to give you the bad news first. This program is going to go on forever. <laughs> Boy, you think you're tired now. <laughs> Wait till you see one o'clock roll around. It goes on from 11.30 to one in the morning. Alan is casual, spontaneous, and fresh. At 33 years old, with trademark horn-rimmed glasses, he has a sharp wit that appeals to both older and younger viewers. He imbues the show with a party atmosphere that quickly draws a faithful audience and critical praise. Alan sits at the piano, riffing jazz progressions and bantering with guests. He chats with audience members. He pulls ludicrous stunts like wearing a suit of tea bags and dunking himself in a vat of hot water. It's a new style of broadcasting, with plenty of room for improvisation, miles away from the staid, stiff style of the day handed down from traditional radio. His work becomes a stylistic blueprint, not just for tonight, but for every other late-night talk show going forward. And just as NBC President Pat Weaver predicted, tonight becomes a substantial moneymaker for NBC. The production budget is minuscule, Guests get union scale regardless of their celebrity stature. With the show airing live five nights a week, ad revenues quickly shoot sky high. And at this point, NBC is the only network with a stake in this new realm. By January 1957, after two and a half years, NBC is delighted with Steve Allen's work on Tonight. Ratings are good, and critics love it. The network is so pleased, it decides to move him from 11.30 to prime time, the hours between 8 and 11 p.m. He leaves behind tonight, but gets another show aptly called The Steve Allen Show. But now, he's up against CBS's Ed Sullivan Show at 8 p.m. Sullivan's variety program has dominated Sunday evening prime time since 1948. In 1964, his show unveiled the Beatles to American television viewers. Allen's show is no match for the beloved program, and after three seasons, his show is moved to 10 p.m. But that still leaves the 11 o'clock tonight host chair empty. Hollywood names are tossed into the mix as possibilities. Actors, comedians, game show hosts. But no one fits. Desperate, NBC offers tonight to Jack Parr, the host of CBS's popular morning show. Where Alan was a kooky, upbeat whirlwind, Jack Parr is a provocative, emotional intellectual with the warm appeal of an eccentric uncle. He accepts and starts his new job on July 29, 1957. The National Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations from coast to coast present the new tonight. Starring Jack Parr, and it's all live from New York. He develops the monologue and brings conversational interviews to the show. Audiences love Parr, whose unpredictable Russian roulette style creates television's first water cooler moments. His increasingly candid interviews reach beyond garden variety celebrities plugging their latest projects to President Kennedy, Fidel Castro, and Cassius Clay who later changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Critics describe Parr as a raw nerve and the first king of smart TV. Most of all, 
Har acts and reacts exactly as he pleases, with quips that toe the line of 1950s propriety. That is, until 1960, when NBC censors him for saying the unmentionable water closet or toilet on air. On February 11, 1960, his dramatic on-air backlash ends in a crescendo of barely choked tears. I like the National Broadcasting Company. They've been uh, swell to me, and I've been pretty wonderful to them. I took over a show with 60 stations. There's now 158. The show is sold out. It's the highest, I think, uh, money producer for this network, and I believe I was let down by this network. Now, I've made a decision about what I'm going to do. I'm leaving The Tonight Show. There must be a better way of uh, making a living than this. The episode becomes a national news event. Parr's always been an emotional live wire, and his overnight decision to walk off is followed by an equally erratic decision to return. Three weeks later, after keeping millions of Americans on edge, he's back. As I was saying before I was interrupted, (laughs) I believe my last words were that there must be a better way of making a living than this. Well, I have looked. (laughs) And there isn't. Parr remains on tonight for two more years. NBC is now completely committed to its highly profitable late-night programming. The Tonight Show is no longer a cheap after-hours experiment. It's the flagship that must stay afloat. And neither CBS nor ABC can come close to competing in the time slot. But by early 1962, Parr is exhausted by the emotional and physical toll of carrying a live show five nights a week. He's been hinting to NBC that he's close to leaving. If he actually does leave, filling his Tonight Show slot is imperative. The network wants a host with broad appeal. No one too New York, no one too L.A., no one too edgy. And they have someone in mind. Only one problem. He's hosting a daytime game show on ABC called Who Do You Trust? Who do you trust? Right now, here's the star of our show, Johnny Carson. Thank you very much. All right, tonight. Hey, it's the fall season in New York. The audiences are wild. Thank you for coming today. And uh, Ed, who's first to uh, lead off? We're all set. We have Lola... In 1962, Johnny Carson is 37, a clean-cut Midwesterner whose career seems to be stalling. He's been knocking around Hollywood as a minor TV comedy writer and game show panelist for years. But in 1955, CBS gives him a half-hour variety program, The Johnny Carson Show. It lasts just 39 weeks before it's canceled. Rough news that Carson discovers while reading Variety. Afterwards, he tries stand-up and some acting, but nothing takes off. In 1957, ABC auditions him as a host for Who Do You Trust? 
where his fast ad-libs and boyish charm win him the position. The show is a success, bringing him national attention and a six-year run. Carson also develops a bond with the show's announcer, Ed McMahon, that will later prove fruitful for both men. With Parr as a chronic loose cannon, the better-behaved Carson is high on NBC's radar. He even gets a hands-on taste of The Tonight Show job when he spends two weeks guest-hosting for Parr in 58. As far as the network is concerned, the Nebraska boy could be just what they're looking for. Carson is quick-witted, but not intellectual, a waspy Midwesterner with a two-drink cocktail party edge. There's only one question. Does Carson want the job? He knows the chance to take over The Tonight Show is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and his career has a shelf life that's fast approaching its past due date. But still, it's a tremendous responsibility. Eight hours and 45 minutes a week, 48 weeks a year. It's a far cry from trading quips with contestants on an afternoon game show. When NBC makes contact to feel him out, Carson won't say yes, but he doesn't say no either. February 1962, New York. Johnny Carson and Tom Poston, a comic from Steve Allen's troupe, are in a cab heading across Brooklyn. They're on their way to appear on the game show to tell the truth. Carson gazes out the window at the gray winter sky and lights a cigarette. So, I hear The Tonight Show is headed for some changes. What are you hearing, Johnny? Carson exhales and turns to look at Poston. I'm hearing that Jack Parr is leaving. I'd like to take a shot at replacing him. What do you think? Poston rolls his eyes and shakes his head. Don't do it. Gee, thanks for the vote of confidence, Tom. Uh, Come on, Johnny, it's nothing against you, but no one can replace Parr. Those are big, crazy shoes to fill. Eh, That's true, but here's what you do. Let NBC hire someone. That guy will get compared to Parr and Bomb. Then you walk into the job and you'll be seen as a savior. Carson doesn't respond. Finally, Poston speaks up. You're not listening to me, are you? Carson shoots him a Mona Lisa smile pats him on the knee and stabs out his cigarette in the ashtray. In March, after five years on the job, Parr makes good on his threat to leave The Tonight Show. NBC reaches out to Carson with a solid offer. The only catch is he's got 26 weeks left on his Who Do You Trust contract with ABC. NBC is happy to wait. Closing in on 40, Carson feels... It's time. He's leaving his cushy game show job to take over the network's crown jewel program, recently vacated by a host many consider to be irreplaceable. As Carson's Tonight Show debut looms closer, the pressure on the network and Carson is intense. He gives interviews to all major press outlets, playing it cool, scoffing when asked if he's nervous. But for the next 26 weeks... He smokes like a fiend. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support. 
the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's October 1st, 1962, in Studio 6B at NBC's Manhattan headquarters. In less than an hour, America will come face-to-face with the new host of The Tonight Show. His deal was announced by NBC six months ago. The press has been all over it. Anticipation is at a peak. But right now, Johnny Carson sits in his dressing room going over last-minute details with the show's producer, Perry Cross. They're sipping vodka tonics and chain-smoking, pretending that anxiety isn't eating them alive. Cross looks at Johnny, who's pouring over the monologue. Don't worry, Johnny. The show's going to be terrific. We've overbooked the guests, so you'll have plenty to work with. No dead air. I'm not worried, Perry. I can always do 20 minutes on corn-growing tips. I'm from Nebraska, you know. Hey, not a bad idea. NBC has a strong affiliate in Omaha. The men kid around, keeping things loose. But the fact is, when the on-air sign lights up, no one can guarantee what will happen. As the show ramped up over the past few weeks, there have been no test shows or rehearsal runs. Carson is going on cold. Hey, Johnny, it's almost time. It's Carson's affable announcer, Ed McMahon. He's always in a good mood and always likes a drink. Uh, Come on in, Ed. I thought I smelled vodka. You ready to hit the stage? Ready as I'll ever be. Uh, One question, Johnny. How do you see my role here tonight? Carson looks at McMahon, who's dead serious. This is happening now, moments before they walk on stage. Ed, I don't even know how I see my own role. Let's just go out there and entertain the hell out of them. Minutes later, the band kicks in, the lights go up, and millions of Americans lay eyes on the new host of The Tonight Show. McMahon brings things to a fever pitch, bellowing out the list of guests, and then... Carson strides out from behind the curtain like he's done it a thousand times, like he owns the place. He's trim and dapper in a dark suit and hush puppies, grinning and shooting glances around the studio, radiating fun. He begins his opening monologue in a serious tone. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. 
This is kind of an emotional thing for me because I've known about this show for a long time. And you get kind of charged up. I don't mean to be maudlin about it. But I know that tonight a lot of people, a lot of my friends are watching all over the country. And I only have one feeling as I, I stand here knowing that so many people are watching. I want my man there. When the reviews come in, it's clear Carson has no need for his nana. In his first week on Tonight, the show draws 7.5 million viewers, almost 41% of the audience in the time slot. The ratings are higher than Jack Parr's, and they stay that way. Carson doesn't raise controversy the way Parr did, but Carson knows the medium, and he knows his audience. He's likable and hip in a non-threatening way. He doesn't hard sell comedy shtick, just the opposite. From monologue to guest banter to comedy bits, Carson is cool and nuanced. His appeal is exactly what NBC is banking on. And it pays off. Over the next decade, Carson turns the show into a phenomenon. Tonight is grossing over $100 million a year, almost 20% of NBC's profits. And those revenues don't go unnoticed by NBC's chief rivals. By the early 1970s, CBS, ABC, and syndication giants like Westinghouse Broadcasting have all launched late-night talk shows. But they come and go. None of them can compete with Carson. The Tonight Show is ingrained in the American zeitgeist. People end their night watching it and begin their day talking about it. As CBS owns news and ABC lays a claim to sports programming, NBC, with a primetime slate that's prone to serious ups and downs, makes late night its exclusive, wildly profitable bastion. The After Hours franchise expands when Late Night with David Letterman debuts in 1982. It's the perfect, hipper, edgier bookend to Carson's show. But tonight's seemingly unshakable domination is about to be rocked by a fresh, driven black comic who is determined to follow in the footsteps of the man he grew up idolizing, Johnny Carson. On the next episode, things get nasty at NBC and litigious. Jay Leno slides into Carson's seat, but Letterman is not about to go quietly into that late, late night. From Wondery, this is episode two of Late Night Wars for Business Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen one week early and ad-free. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they are based on historical research. We use many sources when researching our stories, but we especially recommend Bill Carter's books, The Late Shift and The War for Late Night, and Johnny Carson by Henry Bushkin, Inventing Late Night by Ben Alba, and Letterman, The Last Giant of Late Night by Jason Zinneman. 
I'm your host, David Brown. Peter Gilstrap wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Voice acting by Michelle Phillippe. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Kate Young is our associate producer. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondery. For over 100 years, General Motors was America's automaker. But after the 2008 financial crisis, the storied car company nearly died. Hi, I'm Lindsey Graham, host of Wondery's show, Business Movers. We tell the true stories of business leaders who risked it all, the critical moments that define their journey, and the ideas that transform the way we live our lives. In our latest series, an HR executive named Mary Barra rises to become General Motors' first female CEO just in time to save the company from ruin. But as Mary fights to lead General Motors into the future, tragedy strikes. Listen to General Motors Back from the Dead from Business Movers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or the Wondery app. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.